Hi, and welcome to Foul Puck, a podcast about sports ball for the rest of us. Unlike other sports ball podcasts, we are going to talk about sports without assuming you out there know everything there is to know about trading for future considerations or goaltender interference, for example. I am Rebecca. I'm your hockey know-a-bunch uh, over here on the West Coast, and I'm nope, on the <laughs> East Coast, and I'm joined on the West Coast by my co-host, Nancy and Rachel. Uh, hi, Rebecca. Good to have you back. Thank you. Do you want to introduce yourselves? I mean, I guess if I have to. I mean, you don't. I'm, <laughs> I'm Nancy, your basketball enthusiast. I'm Rachel, your baseball. I do like Noah a bunch, but That's I think I'm going to stick one. with Guru for no, right that now. Fits. That fits. I was yeah. just I was just trying to find my own my own thing, and I I do think I know a lot, but you do. anyway. But I know I do know a bunch. I know that much. You do <laughs> yeah. know a bunch. I'll agree with that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, uh, I'll go ahead and start out with our, uh, the most obvious current event. You guys did the Mm. recording about, um, the death of Kobe Bryant and the, uh, plane crash. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was a, it was a good segment. You, you touched on some important points. Um, thank you. Yeah. The, the only thing that I wanted to. Uh, actually, I guess there were two things. One of the things you guys mentioned was that you didn't see a lot of people on um, social media talking about Kobe's history with sexual violence against women. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually found the very opposite. Um, Interesting. Now, this may be because I have curated my sports ball who to follow list very carefully. Mm-hmm. I follow um, a lot of women sports writers and minority sports writers and people who are very vocal about this kind of thing. So I actually thought that a lot of the people I follow did a good job of kind of balancing the just pure tragedy of the situation um, and the sympathy to everybody who is affected by it, um, including his um, quote unquote alleged um, victim. So, so there were, there were parts of the internet that were talking about it. Um, yeah. And I would say that the later it got, the, the more I started seeing, I think just in that initial way. Yeah. I would agree with that. It was definitely like later, later that evening and the next day I was definitely Yeah. Kind of like the response more. to the response, okay. the response to the response, but definitely in so far, at least I, I spent a lot of time on Sunday and sometime on Monday reading articles about it in particular, not just, like, tweets and social media mm-hmm. stuff, and the articles in particular were not mentioning it. Mm-hmm. So, like, the sort of official oh, yeah. blurbs. I did start to see some more of that did on you? Monday. Okay. Yeah. I, I like, there was specifically a Yahoo article that... Interesting. And even the title said something about kind of a, a mixed legacy or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I started it's, seeing it's it on social media later in the day, but not on okay. official articles. Yeah. I will say one... The best article I saw about Kobe, even though it did not mention this, was from Marcus Thompson at The Athletic, who writes about uh, the Warriors. And he is the father of a daughter who's the same age as Gianna Bryant was. Mm -hmm. And his take on it was very moving. Um, Mm -hmm. So if anybody has an Athletic subscription who listens to this podcast, I do recommend reading that one because I thought it was... It was a nice take, sort of how you and I were talking about, Rachel, like, 
when is it personal for people? Right. It was clearly mm-hmm. very personal for Marcus Thompson, mm-hmm. and and I respected that, and I thought he did a good job of sort of talking about why that was personal to him and like what the connection there was. Gotcha. So, yeah. yeah. Um, the only thing, the only other thing that I wanted to share. Um, because you you did not have this information at the time of recording because nobody did, but I wanted to recognize the other victims of the crash. Yes, yes. So thank it you. was Kobe and Gianna Bryant, John Kerry, um, and their daughter Alyssa Altobelli. Alyssa was a teammate of Gianna's. Christina Mauser, who was an assistant coach on their team, um, Ara Zobayan, who was the pilot, and Sarah and Peyton Chester. Um, I think that Peyton was a schoolmate of Gianna and Alyssa's, but I don't know if Peyton was a teammate of theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, but as much as everybody gets caught up, including myself, caught up in totally. the celebrity part of it, um, there are so many other people affected by this. And I mean, yes. their, their schools, their churches, their neighborhoods, their e- everything – um, so I wanted to make sure that we made specific mention of everybody who, who was on that flight. No, I think that's really good. Um, I think that's a, a really good point. Um, yeah. I did. I, I don't remember if I RT'd this from the Alpuck account or not, but one thing I did see that I really thought, probably the thing that I found most moving in terms of like memories and tributes and so on and so forth, other than Marcus Thompson's article was, I guess, um, so if you follow women's college basketball at all, uh, University of Connecticut is far and away the best team and has been for decades. Um, extensively, they are the best women's college basketball team. It's where all the big stars come from, for the most part. And I guess uh, Jana had wanted to go there, and so the UConn, I think they're the Huskies, their team, Mm-hmm. Uh, set up a chair for her on their bench mm-hmm. and like put her into her oh, jersey on it. And yeah. So it was like, yeah. And I have to say, I feel like 10 years ago, she would have been erased from this and it would have just been about Kobe. So I appreciate Very that likely. A point in our culture where like people are talking about her and like you're saying the other people too. I think that's important. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm going to go ahead and move on from that so we can get to yep. some other lighter material. Um, we, we have an extra host on tonight's show uh, <laughs> because my cats have missed me while I've been away. So they're not leaving me alone. <laughs> they're very cute. I know nobody I know, listening to us very can cute. see them, but they're very cute. Imagine a cat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did, I did tweet a quick video of Stanley, who was trying to get comfortable on me and was just purring away. I mean, if he was on my lap, you wouldn't actually be able to hear me right now. You would just hear the purring. Um, and which one's this one? This, this is, is Sassy. Yeah. She's, um, she is 13 years old and she's still little and so sweet. What a good kid. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anyway. <laughs> um, so let's talk about some current events. Okay. Um, Rachel. Yes. Do you have a current event you wish to speak of? I do indeed. It happened, I believe, two days after we recorded our last podcast. Mm. Um, I gave you a bit of an update on the Houston Astros cheating scandal. Well, a couple days later, the Red Sox went ahead and fired their manager, a guy named Alex Cora. Um, He was actually the Astros bench coach in 2017 and was partially Mm. responsible for that video-assisted cheating with the banging on the trash cans. 
He moved to Boston in 2018, coached the Boston Red Sox to win the World Series. Ooh. Yeah. So the same reporters from The Athletic who interviewed Mike Fires to break the, the, or at least, I, I mean, people were kind of aware of it, but to get wider attention to the Astros story, reported this month that the Red Sox had also made illegal use of the video replay room that coaches are supposed to use to decide whether or not to challenge an umpire's call. Uh, so the Red Sox went ahead and let him go. So I have Probably a, a good move. Um, I have heard faint rumblings of, like, declaring the Astros World Series win, like, not a thing. Yeah. A, how actually real is that? And B, if that happens, is that going to affect the Red Sox, too? Well, here's the thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, the loser in both the 2017 and 2018 mm-hmm. uh, World Series was the Dodgers. Oh. Um, uh-huh. So we just pretend and... the World Series didn't happen. Yeah. yeah. There's no, <laughs> so, I mean, it's not like I second mean, place gets it. It just didn't no, happen. No, it's just, it's, it, it's almost enough to make you feel sorry for the Dodgers. Almost. Almost. But not, not quite. Not quite. <laughs> um, so, I mean, there has been feeling among the Dodgers that it's like, we we are the best team. We have been the best team for a while because they can afford to spend money on the best players. Right. So I think a lot of what you're hearing is Dodgers fans, outspoken Dodgers fans, mm-hmm. saying that, no, you know, we just go ahead and declare ourselves the winners in mm-hmm. these two World Series mm-hmm. because clearly we had the best team, so there had to be some other reason why we didn't win. Right. There is, as far as I know, zero precedent or zero, you know, method within the rules for overturning mm-hmm. a victory like this. Okay. Um, I don't know, even if there was clear videotaped evidence, mm-hmm. you know, of, of something like this, I, I don't think there's any, any way to do that. Is there any, I mean, because I mean, <clears throat> aside from the Dodgers who they played in the world series though, is there any feeling at all that like maybe the Astros or the Red Sox wouldn't have made it to the world series if they hadn't been cheating like this? Right. Um, it's funny, I haven't heard, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, go out there and say I have my ear to the ground on all, sure. all of this, but I really haven't heard okay. much in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard a little bit about, you know, did the Astros use it during the World Series or did they not? Because mm-hmm. some sources have definitely said yes, others have said definitely no. Um, but that's something that really hasn't come up. Because I just I mean, feel like if I were the, you know, not not the Dodgers who lost the World Series, but like the team that lost to, you know, lost in the conference to the Red Sox or the Astros. Yeah. Then, like, maybe I feel grumpy about that, and I'm like, well, I should have gone and played the Dodgers. Yeah, <laughs> and when you see all the evidence, like, all the YouTube videos that popped up of people, you know, looking at those games, and it's so obvious, you know, you hear the banging in the background. Oh. I mean, it, it's just so impossible to, like, to second-guess mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Right. Uh, there's so many variables that go into it. Right. And they, so many games, so many teams they right. play. Right. But I would imagine that most people are probably feeling a little bit of that. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, it's, even if they were to uh, go on insisting that it never happened at the World Series, there were 162 regular well, season right. games before that, you right. know? Right. I mean, I feel like it calls into question their entire standing for that yeah. season. And both, I think the Astros in 2017 and the Red Sox in 2018 well, maybe not. Who had the higher record between them and the Dodgers, which gives them home team advantage. Right, and, right. Um, gives them advantage throughout the uh, uh, the postseason. Mm-hmm. So, 
you know, you flip over one stone, you got to flip over a whole bunch of stones. Well, and that's the thing. Like, I mean, I definitely don't think that you could make an argument to say, well, the Dodgers should have won, therefore we're going to take the trophy away and give it to them. Like, you can't can't do that because you can't prove that that would have happened. Yeah. But I do wonder if there won't be a point at which they're like, okay, we just declared 2017 and 2018, like, null and void. Like, no, we take the win away from those teams because their whole season is in question. Yeah. But we don't award it to anybody else because we can't prove who, you know, like it affects too many things. We right. We can't prove who would have won. Yeah. If they, if this team that did win hadn't been cheating. Right. But so, I don't, you know, like that would be so a if I could, if I could put on my spandex cycling shorts here for a moment. Please. Um, please do. The, well, wait. <laughs> it might take a minute. Um, so uh, Lance Armstrong was a professional cyclist. <laughs> okay, um, that's where you were going with that. Yes. <laughs> sure was. I'm not wearing his cycling shorts to be to be exact. <laughs> that's probably um, for the best. That's yes, yes, I think so too. Um so uh technically uh and in the memory banks, he won mm-hmm. the Tour de France from nineteen ninety nine to two thousand five. Right? right? But then afterwards he was stripped mm-hmm. of those victories. So if you look right. in the Tour de France record books, nobody won the Tour de France from 1999 to 2005. So mm-hmm. it's not that whoever came in second is now declared the winner. It's there was no winner in those years. Right. 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 Exactly. So something like that. Mm-hmm. that and I mean, yeah. it's a it's a little bit different because that's an individual win versus a team win. But yeah. at the same time, I, I mean, I kind of get it because if he hadn't been in the race the whole, mm-hmm. you know, three weeks of the Tour de France, you can't actually say that whoever came in second would have come in second. Right. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't heard anything to that effect. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that would make sense, but I don't know that that would necessarily happen. Yeah. Okay. If I were, like a bigger baseball fan than I am. I would, I think that would be the outcome I would be pushing for. Yeah. I don't. No winner. Not invested in that. <laughs> but yeah, to just write off those two seasons and just be like, well, we just, you know. Yeah. Well, and frankly. Because letting them keep that, that title seems unfair. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and if in some bizarre world I hit my head and, I became a Dodgers fan. I wouldn't suddenly <laughs> want to like retroactively be like, "Yeah, we won," because we you didn't. <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, it, you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm biased because I got what three three first time championships in three years in in Philadelphia and DC with the Eagles, the mm-hmm. Caps, and the Nationals. But like and the Mystics, right? Oh yeah, 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 and the Mystics. Sure, I mean, yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't part of that celebration, but you're absolutely right. Um, I can't imagine like two years later. Oh, we won that one! Mm-hmm. Yay! Let's mm-hmm. party. I, I don't know. It feels, it would feel like more of a hollow victory. But maybe that's yeah. just because yeah. it's so recent. Maybe a hundred years from now, when the Dodgers can say, "Hey, we won it two years in a row," mm-hmm. people aren't going to remember this. I don't, I don't know. I mean, like, obviously, my social media feed is not a good, you know, way to take the pulse of, <laughs> of Dodgers Nation. Uh, yes. <laughs> but and, or how serious they are when they're, you know, retroactively declaring themselves the right. winner in 2017 or 2018. I mean, it could right. all just be like, you know, schmucks a, like us. A joke. Yeah. 
Um, but what I have seen has been like, well, yeah, we won then. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, yeah, it doesn't work that way, guys. Sorry, <sighs> yeah. Dodgers fans. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, Dodgers fans. L.A. fans, generally. Yeah. I mean, I'll put them above Boston fans, but <laughs> but not by much. <laughs> sorry, Boston. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. <laughs> so do we have any other current events in uh, basketball going on right now? Uh, well, okay, there's one. So the Warriors um, <laughs> continuing to not do great. Although we currently, let me check the score right now. They are actually uh, currently playing... Uh, Philly, in fact. Um, mm. and it was 27 to 26 Warriors ahead when we started. And true. now. And now it's up 52 Warriors, 59 Philly. <laughs> yes! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're still only in the second period. Who knows where this will go? But uh, the Warriors traded Willie Pauly Stein, um, who nobody knows who he is. That's to be expected. Okay. Uh, well, except for the hair bleach. That yeah. Was a, that was did. a distinguishing character. It was. So you could tell who he was on the court. I'll give him that. From space. <laughs> yeah, quite possibly. Um, so he was a player who had been brought on. So the Warriors have a history of sort of like rehabilitating players' careers a little bit, mm-hmm. which is really cool, I think. It's one of the things I really liked about it. They were very successful with this um, with a guy named JaVel McGee. Uh, who came in and sort of had always been kind of a bench player and had a history of being like very inconsistent and having a very specific and kind of limited skill set. And they brought him in on like a low contract and they put him on the floor with all of the great players on the Warriors team and he got a lot better, which when you're playing with other good players tends to happen. But also I think it gives players a chance to sort of like have that moment to shine and then that gives you more confidence and then like that does actually make you a better player. So it's not just like being around these other good players like makes you better, which it does. Mm-hmm. But there is also an element of like you suddenly have a chance to like do the thing that you do really well and that makes you feel better about all the things you do. And also you're working with the Warriors coaching staff who are really good and like maybe they refine some of your other skills better. Worked out great for Javel. He played for two years for the Warriors and then he went to LA where he's I think he starts pretty regularly. Um so then they tried to kind of do this, do this with uh, DeMarcus Cousins last year, um, and it worked well, except for the fact that DeMarcus kept getting injured, um, which sucks, and then they didn't bring him back this year, which personally I find rather disappointing because I liked him. Um, but it was the same sort of thing. Uh, he had a history of you know, being very good at certain things, but being difficult to get along with, um, causing trouble. He came, he sat on the bench, he learned a lot. He was injured when he first came to the Warriors. So he sat on the bench for like the first half of the season. Um, But I thought he did a really good job. He was always, you know, very invested. He showed up. He was great with the coaching staff. And then when he started playing, he was, you know, not, not like the best player on the floor, but he was making a solid effort and he was doing a good job. And then he got injured in the finals, um, which was Bummer. sad. And, yeah. And so this year's project in that regard was Willie Cauley-Stein. Um, similar story to Javel. Um, had been kind of hidden away on, I think he was on the Kings, uh, which is historically one of the not great teams in the Western Conference. Um, and limited skill set. And he signed with the Warriors. 
I think, very much hoping that he would then get to play with Steph and Clay. Um, and having them on the floor has this effect where if you're a shooter, you then have a lot more chances to make shots because everybody's guarding Steph and Clay right. because they can make shots from two thirds of the way down the court with a blindfold on. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it's the Alex uh, Ovechkin effect. Exactly. <laughs> right. The Steph Curry effect. Same yeah. same. Yep. <laughs> so so if you're uh, you know, kind of a streaky shooter, kind of an inconsistent player, this gives you a lot more opportunity to try and do good things without somebody breathing down your neck. Problem was, uh, I think he ended up playing all of four minutes with Steph Curry before Steph Curry broke his hand horribly. Um, and Clay, of course, was out, has right. been out the entire season. <clears throat> right. So it did not work out the way that it was planned, and they ended up uh, treating him away. I want to say for a second-round pick from Dallas, I, I wouldn't swear to it, but that's what's in my memory as the thing. So... You know, it's 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 very minor news for the Warriors overall, really. Um, it doesn't. It's not going to make a huge difference one way or another. But that is the thing that has happened. Any uh, updates on Steph and Clay now that we're in the new year? Nope, nope. Uh, they'll be back. I, I I think it's still looking like the end of February, the beginning of March, okay. something like that. Yeah. Hey, but that's soon. I know it's getting the soon beginning all the of time. February is just in a couple days. It's true. Yeah. So like a month. Another six weeks. So like if that. they then win every single game from that point on, <laughs> I'm going to say no. Would they have a chance? I don't know. Let's look what they're They're probably not doing. statistically eliminated. They're No, I think that they're not. Because one of the things that's happening with the Western Conference right now is that uh, it's kind of sucking. Um, so getting to the eighth seed in the Western Conference this year is a lot easier than it has been in some previous years. Um, I think in the last couple of years, it's been like you needed to have a like a 48-win season, um, and this year it's going to be more like mm, 42, 43. <laughs> you win half your games, you're probably golden. Uh, but I, let's see, what is the Warriors record right now? Give me a second and come back to me on that while I pull up the internet. Uh, well, so my, uh, my personal hockey current event news, um, it just brings me great joy that the Capitals re-signed Nicholas Backstrom for an additional five Yay! years. He's, uh, you know, our listeners can't see this, but I'm actually wearing a Nicholas Backstrom sweatshirt right now. He's my favorite player. Uh, He's one of the most underrated players in the league. Uh, He's played with Alex Ovechkin for his whole career. The both of them want to stay in Washington their whole careers. And giving giving Nicky uh, another five years is a really good start. Um, Ovi has one more year on his current contract, and then we'll see what happens. But... Yeah, so that was that so, was exceedingly good news for me. Why is he your favorite player? Um, so there are professional reasons. So when you when you watch him, I didn't I didn't mean for like the flip side of that to sound dirty, which it kind of did in my head. <laughs> <laughs> so so for team reasons, um, he's fascinating to watch on the ice. He's he's not particularly fast and he's aware of this himself. He's talked about it himself, but he has what we call hockey IQ. He's very smart and he sees plays forming before they happen. Um, He's, he's an incredible passer. Like some of the tiny little spaces he finds to send that puck through traffic in front of the goal to get it to Ovi and in the net or to another player and in the net are just, they're mind boggling. Um, 
one of my favorite things about him on the ice is when he slows a play down. So Mm -hmm. somehow people let Nicholas Backstrom hold the puck for, it feels like hours. (laughs) I mean, they're just, he's just holding it there. He's watching his team cycle around. He's letting people get into position and nobody's like challenging him for the puck. And so he's able to make plays just by kind of being this force to slow down the game for a minute. I I mean, it's probably five seconds that he does it, but it feels like an eternity in such a fast paced game as hockey. Um, He off the ice. We don't actually know that much about him because he hates the media and, or he, I shouldn't say he hates the media. He hates being on camera and he has an Mm -hmm. excellent murder face (laughs) Um, except when he doesn't realize he's on camera and then it's like his, his smile is like the force of the sun. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so yeah, so I like him for those reasons. Those are good reasons. I like that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, current Western Conference basketball standings, uh, there are 15 teams in the Western Conference, Mm -hmm. uh, 15 teams also in the Eastern Conference. And the top eight will go into the, uh, the playoffs. Okay. Currently, the Lakers are in the lead with 36. Uh, the Clippers are in second at 33. That's wins, correct? Wins, yes. This season. Yes, yes. Um, out of 82 games total. So 36 for the Clippers, wins 33. 36 for the Lakers, wins 33 for the Clippers. Nuggets and Jazz are tied at 32. Mavericks and Rockets are at 29. Yeah, so and then there's a big jump from number seven to number eight, which is the Grizzlies at 22. There's kind of a cluster from 22 to 17. And then number 14 is the Timberwolves with 15 wins, and number 15 is the Warriors with 10 wins. Ouch! Ouch! So. Yes, technically, if they won, like, every single game, even, like, say, 75% of their games (laughs) from now until the end of the season, they could probably squeeze into that eighth seed. Mm -hmm. But let's just say I'm not going to Vegas on this one. (laughs) Yeah, Um, the safe bet is is not 82 games in the season? Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. interestingly, um, I... Shockingly, I was looking at hockey stats today. The Detroit Red Wings are the worst in the NHL right now. They've won mm-hmm. 12 out of 51 games. And well, they're doing better than the Warriors. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I want to say that if in case it brings you any hope, the Red Wings have not been statistically eliminated from the playoffs. Now, mm-hmm. the likelihood that they're going to make the playoffs is something like 0.001%. But it's uh-huh. still a statistical possibility. <laughs> so, okay, so let me revise my previous statement. We should all go put $5 on the Warriors making oh, it as playoffs. Yes. Because then if somehow <laughs> they manage to, we will all be filthy, stinking rich. Except, and if they don't, we're out we're the price of bucks. a coffee. Yeah. Except really, yeah, we like should it. ask Joe to edit this part out so that only the four of us do make this <laughs> investment and no one else. Oh, sorry, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Brilliant. I don't know. Our listeners would have to help us find a bookie. That's I don't true. know how to do that. No, I <laughs> I, listen, I'm sure we can find someone. 
<laughs> I believe the internet has the answer to this. Probably. Um, oh, so I don't want to cut you off, um, Nancy. Was there anything else in basketball that you wanted to cover, or or your other sports? I don't want to um, pigeonhole you yeah, with basketball. So, so I will say I do expect that when Clay and Steph come back, I well expect is maybe too strong. I do hope that the Warriors will then win a bunch of things when Clay and Steph get back. I, I will be very surprised if it's enough to get them in the playoffs, but I do expect them to not end the season dead last. <laughs> Maybe that's overly optimistic of me, but uh, that's what I'm thinking. Uh, the Sharks are also, like, mm, not doing so hot. Uh, there's... Alright, you talked to me about this, Rebecca. There is currently still a feeling that, like, maybe if the Sharks really dig in, they could get into the, like, wild card spot in the Pacific Division. And I'm like, dudes, I don't know, man. Well, they are. I I actually think it's possible because because the wild card spot in the Pacific is not particularly challenging to get into right now. Yeah, but they were real far behind the last time I looked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're still well. Uh, let's see. They're they're yeah. only they're they are nine points out. Yeah. Um. Let's see. No, they're closer than the last time I looked. They yeah, they're a little. they're nine points out. Um. The yikes! Their goal differential is minus thirty five. Yeah. Um, so tell us what goal differential means. Yeah, the goal differential is uh, the number of times you are scored uh, against versus for uh, with your opponent. So the Sharks have been scored against 35 more times this season than they have scored. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of related to what we were talking about last time. Yeah. The 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 plus minus. Yes, thank you, the plus minus. Yeah. So yep. like, when they're losing, they're losing by a lot. When they're winning, they're not winning by much. Right, right. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, Nashville is not playing great. The Wild are not playing great. Mm-hmm. Chicago and Winnipeg, I think, are pretty much on the bubble. But uh, I wouldn't, I mean, I don't really see it happening, but it also wouldn't shock me if if this mm-hmm. the Sharks could actually get their, get their act together they're not yeah, they're not the, so far out of it. Yeah, they're not as far out of it as the Warriors, for sure. Yeah. For sure. But I feel like that's the thing we've been saying all season with the Sharks. It's like, well, if they could just get their act together. <laughs> yeah. If they could just win more games. <laughs> if they yeah. score exactly. more goals. If they just scored more goals, they'd do really well. <laughs> they would. <laughs> so do you think yeah. the coaching change was a good idea? No, I don't. I think yeah. it was a last gasp, desperate attempt, and I don't think it's made a difference. But what do I know? What yeah, do you I think, think Rebecca? It, I think it made a difference for the first five games after the change, and then everybody was kind of like, oh, this didn't actually change anything. Yeah, no, I don't think yeah. it did. And Pete DeBeer got a new job, but I don't remember yes. who was. He's with the Knights now, isn't he? He's coaching the Vegas yeah, Knights, yeah, right? Yeah, because yeah, they I was fired so their pissed. coach. <laughs> and I was like, no! Yeah, there yeah. really are 12 hockey coaches. There really are 12 hockey mm-hmm. coaches, yeah. That's well, technically, there are, I think right now there are 30 Maybe there are 29, because I think one or two teams have an assistant coach acting as the head coach. Yeah. Yeah, it's Yeah, Brittany and I call that Take the... Take one down, pass it around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we call it the circle jerk of friends. Yeah. <laughs> no, that seems right. entirely correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I was going to bring up is uh, we were talking about figure skating relatively recently, um, and there is a unfortunate uh, scandal in figure skating right now. Um, which is that uh, 
Morgan Cypress, 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 I think it's Cypress, um, who is a pears skater. Um, was uh, in trouble for, he got in trouble for uh, texting explicit images of himself to a 13 year old girl who shares rink and even better uh, than their coach. I'm not sure if it's his coach and her and the girl's coach or if it was like the coaches at the rink tried to get her mother to like not say anything about it. Um, so by scandal, you mean sexual assault and bribery. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly what I mean. Um, awesome. He is still skating, which, yeah, so it, it just came out in December, This all of this. Um, Where's he from? And he, I think he skates for France. He's not somebody I've followed before this, so okay. I'm just trying to confirm that. Uh, yeah, French Olympic pair skater Morgan Cypress. Yeah, um, and... It was a girl who shared his rink, uh, who was also, you know, an up-and-coming figure skater. I, I, his his um, partner, Vanessa, who is his fair skating partner, I don't think that they're involved otherwise. Um, it's one of those things where it's like, I feel bad for her because this is like her athletic career. Yep. And so like, yeah. if she drops him as a pairs partner she's kind of fucked but at right. the same time it's like well what a, what other option yeah. do you have but so far she's standing by him which it's like Ugh. yeah well and then so, I know then I, I also wonder like how much of that is because of pressure from her coaches oh, totally. and friends and family sorry you were going to say right. absolutely oh no I was just going to say maybe she's setting up for a state to the crotch in a major competition what? oh that'd be great yeah I mean, those things are sharp. Like, we support you, Vanessa. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's a thing. And of course, uh, you know, skating like gymnastics, um, particularly because of the age of, of kids when they get into it, is ripe for yeah. this sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, don't you have a lot of, like, they're all in the same environment. They're all in the same environment. All the way they start very, very young. There's a lot of, like, you know, one-on-one interaction with coaches and other skaters that, like, can't always be super well supervised. So, it you know, it's not... Like, it's bad, obviously, and it's a scandal, and it, I certainly hope that they kick Morgan Cypress out, um, but it's not surprising or unusual, unfortunately. Right, right. Um, so it, I bring it up because it's sort of, it's one of the things that, that I feel like is a concern for us in all of our sports is this question of how do our sports handle accusations and allegations and actual proven cases of um, sexual assault, sexual misbehavior, um, particularly on the behalf of <clears throat> people in positions of authority toward people who are around them or dependent on them who are not in authority. So. Yeah, and the answer is usually they don't handle it well. Yeah, that does not seem well to be at the all. answer, unfortunately. Yeah. 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 So that's all I have to say about that. I just okay. bring it up. No, that's good. I mean, it's terrible, but it's good that you bring it up. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to I'm going to flip again to another positive. So for every negative thing you guys bring up, <laughs> yes. no. Please. Let's um, do it. So on the 2 days ago, um mm-hmm. began the first ever um Pride Week in the um Elite Ice Hockey League, which as far as I can tell is the professional ice hockey league of um, I'm going to say the British Isles to okay. be the, to be the broadest in that mm. sense. 
Um, so the EIHL is having their first ever Pride Week. And one of the players of the um, Manchester Storm um, came out this week. He said in a statement, his name is Zach Sullivan, and he said in a statement, with this being the first ever EIHL Pride Weekend, I feel now is the best time to speak about what I've known for many years. I've battled with mental health problems over this issue and with the support, understanding, and acceptance from my family, friends, and teammates, I finally feel ready to say I'm bisexual. I've never been more proud to wear a jersey before, especially one that celebrates all gender identities and sexualities. Before, That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Before, before this happened... I didn't know who Zach Sullivan was. I had never heard of the EIHL. Um, yeah, no. But this is, um, it's groundbreaking because it's the first out professional men's hockey player. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Good for him. yes, yeah, I thought it was fantastic. And um, uh, his his team and the league have come out in support of him which is wonderful. I mean, I've got to imagine that the team knew he was going to do this before he came out, but at the same time, it's still, it's still good to know that he's got the support of his team and his teammates. And, and Mm -hmm. um, I, I hope he's right that it uh, makes a difference for other players going forward. Um, Yeah. Cause it's a, it's a, obviously it's an issue that's, that's close to our hearts. We talk about this kind of thing a lot, but it's a, it's a particular problem in hockey where many of the players and coaches and parents and the system are uh, a little bit uh, behind the times and uh, probably, well, just bigoted. I was going to say more bigoted than we need, but just we don't need it at all. So just, <laughs> just bigoted. Uh-huh. Um, so that was a really lovely thing to see and to see all of the, the support from various um, sports um, outlets and teammates and, and other players in his league was really cool to see. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, Rachel, do you have a yes. weird, uh, baseball fact for us today? Sure. Okay. So today's unwritten rule of baseball is you don't swing at the first pitch when your team's behind. What? Yes. Wait a minute. Say that again. So you don't, you yeah, don't swing don't at the first swing. pitch when your team is behind. Yep. Why? Oh, I'm about to get into that. <laughs> Yay! <But> first, <laughs> we need to talk about the count. Okay, what's the count? One. Ah, ah, ah. No, sorry, sorry. I can resist. Okay. Okay, so while we've talked about balls and strikes on the pod, we have yet to delve into the count. Yes, that is capitalized. And how it factors into an at-bat. Ask a baseball fan what's currently going on between the batter and pitcher, and they're likely to give you two numbers. Like, the count's at three and two, or it's a 2-0 count. This refers to the number of balls and strikes the pitcher has recorded against the batter in this at bat, and it's always given balls first, then strikes. So a count could be three and two, but never two and three, because three strikes would simply mean the batter's out. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay, so what does this have to do with swinging the first pitch? Swinging or not swinging at the first pitch? Well, the count starts at O and O, obviously. If the pitcher throws a strike, the pitcher is considered ahead in the count, as in more strikes than balls. If okay. the pitcher throws a ball, Sorry, the pitcher pause. falls behind in the count. Yes. So if the pitcher throws a strike, the pitcher is ahead. Yes. So it's like the pitcher is winning this set of yes. pitches. Yes, battle of the wills. The pitcher is closer to a strikeout than the, the 
batteries to a walk. Okay. All right. Sorry. So you'll hear commentators talking about being ahead in the count, falling behind in the count. Okay. Hmm. Okay. Um, so the question for the batter becomes whether to risk swinging and missing, thus ceding the psychological, psychological advantage to the pitcher, or risk taking the ball that is not swinging and hoping it's outside the strike zone. But wait, I hear you saying, shouldn't that depend on the pitch? Yes. Well, but wait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One hopes that the batter hasn't made up their mind entirely before the pitch is even thrown. However, some diehards will tell you never to swing at the first pitch, no matter how enticing and right down the middle it looks. So let's look at the numbers. In 2018, baseball savant calculated that any player who swung at the first pitch had a 40% chance to hit it foul, a 25% chance to whiff, just swing and miss, 26% to put the ball in play and get an out, and 9% to get on base. So the odds sound dire anyway, but that's a 65% chance to fall behind in the count 0-1 if you swing at the first pitch. Mm. If you decide not to swing, that chance drops to 46%. Huh, so there is actual evidence to make this a reasonable mm-hmm. thing. But wait. Uh, um, yes. But wait. How many players do we actually think are sitting there thinking, well, the statistical chances of me doing the blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Very few. It's actually probably more the fans looking at it that way. Okay. Or, or is it one of those weird hockey superstition things? Just don't do uh, it. Not really a superstition. Okay. Um, yeah, just more of a, a, a strategy that can almost become kind of a superstition okay. at times. But I will say the numbers don't tell you everything. There is a reason that someone pursuing an aggressive strategy is said to come out swinging, quote unquote. That 9% of batters that do get on base give their team a big advantage for the inning. But when your team's behind, that's considered the time to play conservatively, like we talked about when it comes to stealing bases. The first pitch greatly sets the tone of the at-bat. If you look at every single pitch thrown by an MLB pitcher in 2019, so all of them, 42.2% were strikes, which is an all-time low. That's way down from even 2002, when 54.4% of all pitches were strikes. So today, more than ever, common wisdom says not to swing at the first pitch, especially if your team's behind. And them's the rules. Okay. That's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, taken to an extreme, you just wouldn't swing at a pitch at all. Well, I mean, that is basically what I do when we play our softball games. (laughs) Yeah, and I would say for our softball games, the percentage of strikes is much lower. Well, for our softball games, it really depends on the ref. That's true. There are, there are a lot of additional variables. There are a lot of additional variables. But generally speaking, it is very much true in our softball games that, like, if you just stand there, you're going to walk. Mm-hmm. But I expect that's much less true. Yeah. And it's interesting you bring that up because I personally have to tell myself not to swing at the first pitch. Uh-huh. Um, and you can probably attest to the fact that it's not always a successful strategy. (laughs) Most of the time, in softball, you've got time to really think it over while it's coming at you. Yeah. So it leaves the pitcher's hand, and I'm thinking, I'm not going to swing, I'm not going to swing. And it gets closer, (laughs) I'm like, I don't know, it's looking pretty good. (laughs) And, you know, half the time I end up swinging. But in that case, you know, I know that I'm probably going to get at least one more good pitch to hit. You know? Probably. And the pitches are distinct in terms of placement but not in terms of speed or movement yeah so that's that's a little different but um you know some coaches just approach that strategy of just don't ever swing at the first pitch that's so interesting yeah i kind of want to i i'm i need some time to like steep in that one and think about it Mm -hmm. 
I also feel like I need to like watch a baseball game right now so I can pay attention <laughs> to that to kind of internalize it. Well, you are out of luck until March. <laughs> oh man, I'm I, sure you I can legitimately find forgot that. <laughs> oh man. Um, while we're on um, baseball, we did get a question from Instagram, and I think we're calling this uh, parental requests or <laughs> dad <laughs> corner. <Parental requests>. <laughs> <laughs> um, so somebody who turned out to be Nancy's dad asked us a question. And he mm-hmm. says, how come a home run is not just a foul ball? I mean, the ball does go out of play. <laughs> he also said he wanted more jokes about stick infractions, which is funnier now to me, knowing that that's your dad, Nancy. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I get my sense of humor from somewhere. Uh-huh. Let's just say that. Okay, well, uh, you know, coming up on, on baseball season in March, I can provide a lot of uh, sticks and balls-based jokes, and I'm happy to do so. So I'm glad that there's someone out there other than me who appreciates them. <laughs> I, I clearly but, need to up my stick game, so I will work on that. Yeah, so, so to take look at the question of foul ball versus home run, I mean... It really is a philosophical difference between what counts as a foul ball and what counts as a home run, you know? And I don't know that there's necessarily any more skill. Well, no, that's not true. It I mean, would be hard to say. It's skill in hitting it outside of the the boundaries of the home run, like between the foul poles out of the park. Well, right. I mean, the technical difference is a home run goes between the foul poles and a foul ball does not. Yes. Like, that's the answer to yes. the question. But I was thinking, I wonder, like... If the goal was to chip the ball so it went, you know, behind you or into the stands or something, mm-hmm. and people were trying to do that, because mm-hmm. of course but you do just... see more foul balls in the stands than you see home runs. Oh yeah, part. Sure. But it's also um, a closer distance. Like there's yes, less distance between the batter and the people yeah. than the batter and the parking lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the height on some of those fouls is is pretty amazing. So, yeah, it really is. I guess it's a test of, of not only how far you can hit the ball, but how well you can hit it in the direction that you intend right. to hit it. Right. Strength and aim. I mean, so here's a question, though. If if home runs were foul balls, like if, yes. if it goes over the wall at any mm-hmm. point, it's just out and that's not a good thing. Yeah. How does that change the goal of hitting the ball real hard? Like, you'd mostly, like, want to hit grounders that bounce around the outfield, right? Like Yeah, it would change it significantly. You'd is hear, that, is like... that cricket? Have we just <laughs> invented mean... cricket? <laughs> we might have. You actually probably want a liner until it gets out of the infield. But, yeah, you want it to hit the ground before... Probably before it gets to the outfielder. But, yeah, it would change a lot of people's hitting strategy. Mm -hmm. You'll hear a lot about launch angle and what angle you're approaching the ball to hit Mm -hmm. for power hitters. Do you think it would change pitching strategy at all? I don't know enough about how pitchers try to avoid pitching things that turn into home runs. Right. I mean, you'll hear a lot about, you know, he's a ground ball pitcher versus he's a fly out pitcher, you know. Fly out, not fly open. Correct. Okay. Yes. Okay. Fly open pitcher is something entirely different. <laughs> something you hope stays in the dugout. Yes. Not technically prohibited by the rules, but... That's the nah. adult uh, baseball league. Yes. <laughs> um, insert your own stick and fraction joke here. <laughs> but we'll leave that to my father. Okay. <laughs> 
But yeah, I don't know what about pitching strategy would change. That's the aspect of the game that I think I understand least. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I mean, frankly, well, I'm I'm surprised you didn't answer this question with just them's the rules. <laughs> <laughs> That's the short answer. But given the option between talking about the short answer, the long answer, I'm going to pick the long answer. So. <laughs> but yes, that would also be considered correct, Rebecca. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Um, so. So rumor has it there's there's a big sport event happening this weekend. So even what? though even though none of us are like into that weird sport with the weird shaped ball and no sticks, uh, I figured we should probably talk briefly about the Super Bowl. I guess. I mean, yeah. No, actually, I do have I do have a fun uh, thing about this. So it's the 49ers versus the the San Francisco 49ers versus the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, obviously most of us are rooting for the 49ers. Um, I started out researching this segment thinking that I was going to end with rooting for the Kansas city chiefs because their coach is Andy Reed and he's the former coach of the Eagles and he did great things for the city of Philadelphia. And I like him a lot, Mm. but Uh then, uh, but then I was talking with Brittany, our, Mm -hmm. um, football consultant, Mm-hmm. And she pointed out to me that the uh, an offensive uh, assistant coach, as in she assistant coaches offense, not that she is mm-hmm. an offensive she person. Is offensive, yeah. Right. Um, Katie Sowers, she is the yep. first woman and openly gay coach in Super Bowl history. So she's yep. the first wow. woman and openly gay coach in NFL history. She's mm-hmm. the second woman coach in NFL history after Catherine Smith, who worked mm-hmm. for the Buffalo Bills. But um, Katie Summers will be the first um, woman, first gay person coach um, out in the NFL this year, which is right. amazing. Um, it is amazing. And there's a, and there's a great article on uh, SBNation.com about her which I will tweet out. I started like taking notes from the thing. And then I was like, Rebecca, you either need to read the whole article or just tweet the article instead of writing all of these things down. Yes. So, so let's talk about the 49ers because as you say, Katie Sowers is awesome and it's great that she coaches for them and that she's uh, going to the Super Bowl. I'm super in favor of that. The 49ers are one of the local teams for Rachel and myself, the other one being the Raiders. And we have a, I, shouldn't speak for Rachel, have a general policy of fuck the Raiders because they're... <laughs> well, they're not yours anymore. Well, yeah. they're still here, but yeah, no, they've been moving to Vegas for like the past three years, so like, who cares? Um, I'll draw it out as long as humanly as possible. As long as humanly possible, yes. But like, I wrote off the Raiders many, many years ago. Um, Fair. I would love to be for the 49ers, but uh, they are the team that uh, Colin Kaepernick played for. And he took them to the Super Bowl. He took them to the Super Bowl, in fact. And they then uh, did not rehire him, very likely because of his political actions on uh, the sidelines. So for those of you not familiar with Colin Kaepernick, he is a very cool dude. He was a a quarterback. Yes. He's a quarterback for the 49ers. Um, Really inspirational character. If you go read his Wikipedia page, he's just like super good dude. Um, and he played for the 49ers, and I want to say in 2007-ish, 
um, started doing silent protest during the playing of the national anthem. First, I think he sat, and then he was the one who's, who originated the taking of the knee uh, during the national anthem. Uh, I believe it was originally in support of Black Lives Matters, but it then became sort of a, a wider category of protest. This then blew up. I believe uh, Dear Leader even tweeted about it a few times. <laughs> um, and the 49ers ended up not rehiring him. And while I don't think that there's direct evidence that they sort of initiated the blackballing that led him to not ever be signed by any other team in the NFL, it's certainly possible. No, that, that's um, what happened. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I like yeah. I I get the the desire to be uh, technically accurate, technically <laughs> accurate, but yeah, no, yeah. I'm I'm a hundred percent percent with you. Uh, yeah, uh, a so, black man brought to uh, the national stage a conversation right. about police brutality against black people, and the NFL right. didn't like it. Yes, yes, exactly. That's exactly yeah. what happened. He, he was great for the 49ers. He was there several years, and then they did not rehire him for no obvious football-related reason. Um, yeah. So <laughs> that's a, an issue that so I it's have. hard to root for the 49ers, 49ers, even though they're more or less the home team at this point. Right, exactly. Yeah. So I will admit I feel very conflicted about it because they're having a terrific season. They have several players that I think are great. Um, mm-hmm. that they've got Katie Sowers, who I think is fantastic. But it has not been long enough, not enough of their staff has turned over for sure. me to be like, oh, well, the people who were the cause of this you know, problem with Colin Kaepernick are gone. Right. It's a different you know, organization at this point. That's not actually the case. So, yeah. So <clears throat> I will be, I suppose... Rooting for them very low key, <laughs> I guess. I think it'll be interesting to note whether the commentators bring up yeah. Colin Kaepernick at yeah. all. Because ordinarily, I think they would bring up the last quarterback that took the uh, team yeah, to the Super Bowl. I think so. Yeah, for sure. So I'd be interested to hear Brittany's thoughts on that as well. Um, yeah. But speaking of uh, the 49ers and players, so two things. They, they played um, a game, I want to say like a week and a half ago um, that, you know, is the one that sent them to the yep. Super Bowl. And one of the things that apparently was, and this is me reading articles because I know fuck all about football, really. Uh, <laughs> one of the things that was apparently really remarkable is that they basically just ran everything. And I was watching, I watched like the first half of the game and it was really true. You know, like normally in football, you see these like long giant throws and they like, you know, catch them and like take them into the, is it the end zone? Yes, the end zone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> instincts were correct. Like I said, <laughs> the place where touchdowns happen. Um, but in this the case, they were really just the touchdown <laughs> box. Yes, that part. Um, they were really just running everything. They would pass it off, and then they have these guys who just like run it and run it and run it and dodge all the giant guys throwing themselves. And the game was so one sided. Like they were up, I want to say, thirty seven to zero at one point, which mm-hmm. is bonkers mm-hmm. um and didn't win by quite that much but still won by a very significant margin um so i'll be real interested to see if they do that again in the super bowl and if that works for them mm-hmm. um the other thing is that they do have this player named debo samuel who i heard a, a little blurb about on one of the sports podcasts i listened to who apparently uh wants his second career to be a fashion designer which i think is really cool oh he has 
like a badass Instagram account um, where he's like you know posts his outfits and everything. Um, it's like I guess a family thing to be you know his mother and his siblings are like real into fashion and and clothing as well, and so that's where where he wants to go after football. And I just thought that's really cool. You know, it's cool. Like, yeah, and that'll be interesting to look into because I feel like yeah. there's some overlap there. Mm-hmm. Like there's some athletes in every sport who yeah, you know, they're given the means to right, you know, buy these right cool designer clothes and right. you know express yourself. Yeah, and find that they really enjoy that, and that's mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's definitely a thing in the NBA. Like when when uh, players you know are walking into the arena before a game, a lot of them will dress you know very fancy very you know whatever fancy means to that particular player i know not wear the tearaway pants into the stadium (laughs) listen Um, i'm just gonna say right now for all of the national hockey league players listening to this podcast please wear tearaway pants (laughs) (laughs) i think that's that's a a great idea idea. (laughs) yes i'd love to get behind that idea (laughs) and the execution of it too would you like to get behind that Uh (laughs) uh-huh um so, so yeah, that's uh, Debo Samuel. Apparently, that's a thing that he does. Um, and I guess the other thing of note was that uh, this article that I'm, I'm glancing at now, and also the the podcast was talking about you know you, you get these very sort of flamboyant players who, who you know express themselves through how they look. Uh, my first thought was Dennis Rodman back <laughs> in the day, um, and they tend to be similar in their personality. But no, apparently Debo's just like a really chill dude. Mm-hmm. Really quiet, really you know, modest, and just really likes to dress well. So nice. good yeah. on him. Well, if anybody is looking for a reason to root for the Chiefs, uh, this is their first Super Bowl appearance in fifty years. Wow! Um, <clears throat> yes, and they have only won it once, and that was in Super Bowl Four. <laughs> so when was that? Fifty uh, years ago. January 11th, 1970. Okay, yeah, 50 years 50 ago. 50 years ago. This is Super Bowl 54. That was Super Bowl 4. <laughs> that that math. Out. Listen, we do sports, <laughs> not math. <laughs> well, and it's math with Roman numerals, which I feel like is inherently harder, so. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always okay. just like, Super Bowl, some letters. Yeah. Well, Though also, I did enjoy Super Bowl L. That really yes. amused me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if the Niners win the Super Bowl, they will tie the Patriots and the Steelers for the most Super Bowl victories in NFL history. So for me, that's kind of a reason for them not to win because I don't like yeah, the Patriots that's valid. or the Steelers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you want to go, go for the cheese. underdog? So yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. we'll see. I mean, there are pros and cons to either yes. side winning. Yep. So, yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I had one more brief thing about the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah, tell us. Um, So it's taking place in Miami this year. And um, they held the opening event, I believe, at Marlins Park. And um, a player named Miguel Rojas on the the Marlins, who's one of the few who was not shipped away in the fire sale, (laughs) um, he uh, went around and interviewed a bunch of people, and it was really neat. So representing Miami. It's good to see. That's so nice. Um. The cost of a 30-second commercial in this year's Super Bowl is $5.6 million. Holy cow. So if we wanted to advertise the podcast, (laughs) (laughs) 
it might be too late to scrape it together for this year. Uh, I'll go dig in my couch. I'll see yeah, what I if can we want to set up a GoFundMe for next year. <laughs> <laughs> if we oh, can we get a GoFundMe for like for that. our sixteen dollar a month SoundCloud hosting fees, let's do that <laughs> before we aim for our next year's six million dollars for a thirty second commercial. <laughs> Okay, so Listen, you got this is a five-year goal. Yeah, you gotta aim high. <laughs> oh, this is a five-year goal. Okay, awesome. you just need a million a year. That's totally doable. Right? I mean, yeah, easy, no problem. Sure. I mean, break it down by days. That's probably you yeah. do that math. I'm not uh, doing it. Yeah, me neither. Related <laughs> news. Please email us at foulpuckpodcast at gmail dot com if you have any uh, advertising interests in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I suppose that's another uh, interesting, because I know a lot of people who don't normally watch football will for the advertisement. Oh, that's true. And I used to get into that a little bit, but lately, I don't know if it's the fact that the evils evils of capitalism have been rubbed in our faces pretty strongly the past few years or what, but I am less amused by them now. I just always find them terrible. Because, like, I don't don't watch commercials, generally speaking. Like, Mm -hmm. I didn't particularly grow up watching TV really at all. Um, and all the TV that we have now is like Netflix or like Hulu where we pay for not having ads and stuff. Yeah. So anytime I end up actually watching commercials, it's really jarring to me. Like that this is what advertisers think that I want to see. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the Super Bowl commercials are the same way. It's just like watching something from an alien culture that's off-putting and weird. And the Super Bowl commercials are that, but... To, to the next degree. Yeah. Like, they yeah. take regular commercials and go the next step or two steps yeah. past that. Absolutely. Yeah, almost to the point of being short film. Yeah. Totally. Yes. Uh, I'm with you, Rachel, though. I, especially once I saw that $5.6 million per 30-second <laughs> commercial. Yep. I mean, it just, it's, it's staggering. That amount of money is staggering. I mean... How many commercial breaks, how many commercials are there in a commercial break? Six? Because if we even say there's six, that's what, $40 million right there? $40 million in three minutes. Mm -hmm. And and you got like Doritos buying one every single break. Yeah. And what does that money go to? It certainly doesn't go to concussion research. (laughs) No. No. Yeah. So, so I'm with you on that a little bit, Rachel, that I, that the, the whole evils of capitalism thing has kind of ruined it for me. Um, yeah. So one last thing before we move on yeah. from the Super Bowl. Um, I guess this is technically last year's news, but I thought it was this year. So that's just me being unhinged at the time. <laughs> but since we were talking about Colin Kaepernick, um, last year Rihanna was asked to perform at the halftime show. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and she turned it down. Um, to stand in solidarity with Colin Kaepernick um, because she said uh, she really has a lot of problems with the NFL um, and refused to to play. Um, And uh, she said, I just couldn't be a sellout. I couldn't be an enabler. There's things within that organization that I do not agree with at all, and I was not about to go and be of service to them in any way. Uh, So they then hired Murder 5, who I like (laughs) fine, but group of white guys. So, like, Yeah. yeah, yeah. Do we know who it is this year? I'm sure somebody does. It's but. Jennifer Lopez and Shakira. Oh, and, interesting. And Demi okay. Lovato was doing the national anthem. Oh, that's nice. Good for her. Yeah. Just the just the the money behind all of this is, is yeah, mind-boggling. Yeah. It's mind-boggling. Staggering. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I only had one other thing before uh, wrapping it up. Did you, did you guys have anything else? I did have one more thing. Oh yeah. Go Um, for it. Should I? Okay. Um, And, you know, thank you for talking about the the female NFL coach because it reminded me that um, speaking of San Francisco teams, um, the Giants actually hired the first, I thought it was the first female coach, but I guess it's the first full-time assistant coach in um, Major League Baseball. Oh, nice. Um, Good for them. Yeah, I guess uh, the first woman was in 2009, but uh, now Alyssa Nacken. Former softball star at Sacramento State will join the San Francisco Giants coaching staff as the first female full-time assistant in Major League Baseball history. Great. Yeah. So we've had at least one full-time assistant coach in the NBA now. I believe she was with the Spurs, and I think there might be a second one at this point, though I'm not sure about that. We've got one in in the baseball. What's baseball? Uh, MLB. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Too many acronyms. Um, There are not any in... The NHL, right, Rebecca? That's correct. Okay. The NHL is way behind on a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. I was actually pretty surprised to um, hear about uh, the baseball coach, because baseball is also pretty far behind on a lot of things. I mean, they all are, really. Like, it's really, it's not like... like, uh, Well, yeah, none of them are great. None of them are great (laughs) on any of this. Uh, I do think uh, location does play a lot into it, like having Katie Sowers in the Bay Area, I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, it does, I know that there were, there was talk of a particular woman coming to coach for the Warriors, and then it didn't happen. Um, I would sure like for that to happen, and it makes me wonder if the Sharks at any point would be able to do something like that, but we'll see. I mean, San Jose is, is still a little different from, from San Francisco, even though it is. Yeah, I was going to say. It's not hugely different, but it's a little different from San Francisco and Oakland. So, uh, I don't know. They should get on that. Well, um, speaking of ways hockey is behind and women, uh, (laughs) I I wanted to talk at length about women's hockey, but there's not length to talk about. Um, Yeah. So the Canadian Women's Hockey League actually disbanded, was discontinued in May of last year. So it doesn't exist anymore. I the hearing about this. National Women's Hockey League, which is um, America, has five teams. Um, the Boston Pride, the Buffalo Buttes, the Connecticut Whale, the Metropolitan Riveters, and the Minnesota Whitecaps. Uh, side note, I want to have a conversation with whoever it is who picks these names. Yeah, mm, those names are pretty rough. I'm sorry. I, you do not name a women's team the Whale. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, that's, uh... I was just thinking Metropolitan Riveters is a hell of a mouthful, but yeah, there are worse ones. Yeah. Uh, amazingly, there are worse ones, and there are only five of them. Um, <laughs> and uh, the NWHL plays for the Isabel Cup every year, and Isabel, Isabel is the daughter of Lord Stanley of Cup, so there's a relation <laughs> there. Um one of the one of the cool things that happened this year, though, um, la- this past weekend was the um, NHL All Star Game, and at the All Star event, they had a women's three on three game that was played with the Canadian national team versus the U.S. national team, or women from the Canadian national mm-hmm. team and the and the U.S. national team, and I believe Canada won two to one. Um, mm-hmm. 
again, this this may circle back to the people who I follow for hockey news and hockey news media. I have curated very intentionally because there's a whole lot of terrible white people in hockey fandom. Um, so the people who I follow said essentially that that was the best part of the whole All-Star Weekend was that women's three-on-three game. Um, historically speaking, the men's three-on-three game it involves very little trying by the players because <laughs> nobody really wants to be there. Uh, meanwhile, the women are playing their asses off. Because it's um, the only chance they yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm sorry I missed it because I was on vacation, but I'm going to try to find a replay somewhere. Cause if you from, do, you should share that because I yeah, would like to watch it yeah, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because from what I hear, um, that was the best part of the whole weekend, mm-hmm. which is awesome. Mm-hmm. So. Sadly, that is all there is about uh, professional women's hockey in North America. Yep. Yep. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's just, I don't know. I find it remarkable because, like, for all that the WNBA sure could, you know, do a little better at times, at least they exist, you know. (laughs) (laughs) God, but what a bar we're at. I know. I know. Yay. They exist. Women's soccer the same way. Like, there are several, you know, eight, now nine teams that, you know, play regularly and have, you know, well-known players. Uh, and, and you know, I will, I have a laundry list of complaints about the WNBA and the exposure thereof and the investment in them and the same with, with the Women's Soccer League. But, like, at least they exist. I will say, one way the WNBA is, uh, is clearly superior to a lot of others, bitch and team names. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I will agree with that, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, that was all I had for today. Uh, so if that's it for all of us, you can find us on Instagram at Podcast and on Twitter at Pod. Our email is foulpuckpodcast at gmail.com. And hot damn, I nailed it this time. Yeah! Yay! Woo! So, I'd also uh, just like to throw out there, if anybody with, like, buckets of money wants to hire me to, like, put together a women's hockey league in the U.S. and run it, like, call me. I'll do that. <laughs> oh, yeah. She'll so do it. She has the spare time. <laughs> I will so, make no, no, the no. spare time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, we, Foul Puck has this. Call us. <laughs> yes. We don't have a phone number, so email us. <laughs> <laughs> Metaphorical calls. Oh, okay, okay, okay. DM us. We don't yes. have 1-800-FOULPUCK. No, but I'm going to register it right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you all for listening, and uh, we will catch you next time on Foul Puck. Bye.